approach. Now, that terminology, that phrasing is normally used to describe somebody who is very successful, who has reached some sort of lofty height, and yet they do not allow their position and their success to keep them from putting their hands even on the tiniest details of what they oversee. It would be like a, a CEO or the owner of a company not being scared to roll up his sleeves or roll up her sleeves and get their hands dirty in the practical details of what's going on. Our God, though he is the CEO of the universe, though he is the very father of life itself, our God has chosen to take a hands-on approach to your life. And I just want to tell you straight out, my message to you is God has his hands on your life. Thing about it is, it's hard to see God's hand moving in your life. It's hard to recognize his hand, especially as you're walking through life in real time. It's much easier to see the hand of God and the activity of his movement in your life when you look back in retrospect. While you're walking through in real time, there's so many problems and difficulties and days of discouragement. Many people over the last couple of years have lost their job. And you lose your job and you think, where was your hand on that one? Or you lose a loved one. And in the throes of grief, you wonder, where was your hand on that one? Or you're put in a circumstance that is completely outside of your control. And you feel vulnerable because you have no way of, of dictating what's been done to you. It's just been done to you. And you, you wonder, where, where was your hand? I'm sure Jochebed felt that way. Moses' mother. She had just got married in a time where her people had been slaves for 400 years. Slavery and oppression was normal to them. Being mistreated was normal to them. So they took such value and such care in their families. The scripture says the more that the Egyptians mistreated the Hebrews, that the more they multiplied. And, and, and what that means without going into too much detail is, is the harder the day was, they would go home and hold each other closer at night. And you know, when you hold each other close enough, you, your family starts to multiply. Uh, we got a quick audience this morning. Glory to God. The more they afflicted them, the more they'd go home and comfort themselves. You know? So next time you have a hard day, just walk into your house. and it... the, the more they afflicted them, the, the more they multiplied. And, and she was married in that environment. She had her first couple of kids and 
and things are going great. And then she gets a, uh, she gets a notice in, in the mail because the Pharaoh has noticed that the Hebrews are multiplying. And he knows that in one short generation, there's going to be a whole lot more Hebrews than there are Egyptians. And it's hard to keep a people enslaved when they outnumber you. So he signs a bill. He passes some legislation. Sends out a decree that if a Hebrew woman gets pregnant, if it's a girl, she can keep it. But if it's a boy, they have to throw it into the Nile River. If you don't and you're found out, not only will they kill the child, they'll kill the rest of your children. When she receives the notice, she tells her husband, honey, this would not be a good time to get pregnant. You ever said that before? But a couple of weeks after finding out the news about the legislation that was passed and the bill that was signed, a couple of weeks after that, she misses her period. She starts getting sick in the morning. And a couple of weeks later, she starts noticing changes in her body. And she pulls her husband aside and she said, we got a problem. I'm pregnant. And in that moment, I'm sure she began to release her faith and offer her prayers to God. Lord, let it be a girl. Lord, I'm praying for the movement of your hand in this situation. Let it be a girl. If God before us, who can be against us? God, you can let it be a girl. Honey, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and he helps us. Let, let us pray together in agreement. If two or three agree, touching anything on earth, God, you promise to hear them and that, that it shall be done unto them. God, let it be a girl. And they, they stood in faith. It's going to be a girl. All the term of the pregnancy is going to be a girl. It's going to be a girl. The morning that she gives birth, she's convinced herself and is brimming with hope. It's going to be a girl. And when she travails and cries out with labor pains and the baby comes, she looks. It's a boy. Well, where was your hand on that one? I'm sure she felt frustrated. I'm sure she felt like God had allowed her to be put into an impossible situation because what do you do? Do you throw the baby into the Nile River like everybody else is doing? Or do you take the chance and hide them and put your other two children's lives in danger? Have you ever been stuck in a hard place? where there was no easy decision. And the Bible brings out in verse 2 that they were weighing their options because it says when she saw. It wasn't until when she saw that he was such a beautiful child. In other words, there was... There might have been the plan to let's at least spare the other children and let's let's do what everyone else is doing and throw him in the Nile. 
let's not risk the whole family. But, but when she saw how good he was, the, the, the scripture says how beautiful he was. She looked into his eyes. She saw something special. She made the decision to put the rest of the family on the line to preserve or try to preserve him. And I'm sure she didn't see God's hand at work in that very bad, very bad situation. Now, here's some of the trouble with us. When you judge any one thing in your life in isolation, you lose perspective of the collective whole. I'm going to say that again because I like the way it sounded. When you judge any one issue at a time in isolation, you lose the perspective of the collective whole. For instance, um, when, 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 you're, when you're hungry, most people don't walk up to the refrigerator and open it and grab a stick of butter and bite off a big hunk. Because butter in isolation, it isn't really that good. It's not good like that. You know. I hope none of you do that. That would just be weird. <laughs> but certainly no one goes and opens the pantry and gets a bag of flour and sits down on the couch with a spoon and starts shoveling flour into their mouth. Or, or nobody would pour a big bowl of salt and get a spoon and, and, and just eat salt. Because in isolation, none of those ingredients are good. But if you got somebody like my wife that's willing to put their hands in that kitchen, they can take all of those isolated, separate ingredients that are not good by themselves and start working them together for good. And what started out as a bunch of bad, isolated ingredients can come some biscuits real quick if you got somebody that knows how to take all things and work them together for good. And you may have some bad situations going on in your life right now in isolation, but I want to remind you, you have a problem and you serve a God whose hand is on your life. And by the time God gets done taking all of the isolated things and working them together, it's going to turn out good. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're sitting. But you walked in here with some bad circumstances, some ugly things, some difficult days and God wanted me to remind you how it's going to turn out when God gets finished with it it's going to turn out for your good Romans 8 28 is the promise and we know that all things not just the good things but the bad things too not just the right things, but the wrong things too. Not just the happy things, but the miserable things too. And we know that all things, all things work together for the good for them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. When you love God, he puts his hand on your life and he refuses to allow your life to yield a result that he did not purpose. So no matter how bad it looks right now, the word of the Lord to you is the goodness is coming. The 
goodness is coming. The goodness is coming. But like I said, like I said, you see it better in retrospect. This is what David was talking about when he said, surely, I feel like preaching. He said, surely, he said, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I didn't feel it every day. I didn't even see it every day because I was walking through it in real time. But after I got old enough and I started looking back over my life at all of the things I went through, I noticed a trend through every year. I noticed a trend through every decade. I noticed a trend emerging. All of my life, God's been good to me. All of my life, God's been merciful to me. All of my life, God's been kind to me. I didn't always always see it, didn't always understand it, didn't always feel it, but all of my life he's been good, and all of your life he's been good. Even in what you're going through now, he is good, and what you're going to say about the thing when it's all said and done is that goodness emerged to the top. Goodness rose to the occasion. Goodness Push somebody a holler. It's going to be good. No, holler at them. Say it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Jochebed is, is pouting on God because she had her best baby. At the worst time. Have you ever had a good thing come at a bad time? And she's wondering, God, why would you allow something so beautiful to be born into something so broken? And God does, God does. Three things in the text I want to draw your attention to. And you're going to see the hands. Okay, talk to me. You're going to see the hands. Say hands. You're going to see the hands of four women and the hands of one God. Okay. Five sets of hands. And they're all going to be moving. But what I want you to notice when you look at the hands of these four women, you got Moses' mama, you got Moses' sister, you got Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter's maid. All their hands touch this boy. But the hands inside those hands that was moving through the whole text, just remember, it was the hands of God. Okay. If anybody ever blessed you with their hands, don't think it was them. If anybody ever blessed you with their hands, it was his hands through the hand. So, so, so point number one, the, the, the Bible says that uh, in verse two, she, when she saw how beautiful he was, she hid him for three months. Number one, the hand that hides. The hand that hides. Now, remember, you judge anything in isolation, 
you lose perspective. We all know the story. We read it. But if you didn't have the benefit of the perspective of the whole story and all you saw was this couple have a baby and it was a great baby. It was a beautiful baby. It's a good baby. And they take that good baby and they stuff him in a hole. It seems like gross neglect and abuse. It seems like nobody in the family appreciated this baby. Moses was beautiful and hidden in a hole. Gifted and hidden in a hole. In any other family at any other time, this baby would have been celebrated. Nobody would have shut up about this baby. But but in this family that he's in, he's hidden. And to look at it in isolation, it seems cruel, it seems abusive, and it seems like great neglect. Have you ever felt like that you were hidden? Have you ever felt like you were neglected? Have you ever felt stuffed in a tight, dark, uncomfortable place where nothing around you validates the good things about you. And you know, if you've ever gone through a season of your life where you were hidden, the question just naturally emerges, what's wrong with me? Am I that bad? I'm sure at some subconscious level, Moses was wondering, Am I that ugly that they would stick me in a hole? Way to preach with me, son. I like that. Am I that ugly that they'd stick me in a hole? Am I that annoying? Was I not wanted that much that, that they just hide me away every day and don't see me and don't sing to me and don't speak to me? Feel that. Yeah. Yeah, that's here. There's some people that have had to live long seasons of your life just hidden, tucked away. And you've been asking the question, what, what is it? Look at somebody and say, he hid me. Now, there's, there's, some, there's some good women in this room. And you want to get married. You want to have a family. And you've prepared yourself for marriage. You've taken necessary steps. It's the desire of your heart. But it seemed like everybody else in the world is getting married. Except you. You're hidden. There's some good men in this church. And I've talked to you. You want to have a family. You prayed about it. Sowed seed for it. Serious about it. But when you try to get out there, and it's not that you haven't tried, you've tried, but when you try to get out there, it just seems like you're hidden. 
There's a lot of people that are in this room in this moment. And you're going to get up and you're going to go to jobs next week. And if the truth were told, on that job, you are working for somebody that should be working for you. You have more experience. You know more. You do it better. But to the decision makers all this time, somehow you have remained hidden. Look at somebody and say, he hit me. This is a tough one, but have you ever felt hidden in your own house? Like nobody else in the house sees you. Like you might as well be another piece of furniture or a picture on the wall. That, that your gifts and what you add to the house are not appreciated and not valued. That the brightness of your mind and your thoughts aren't considered. You just come home every single day to what feels like not a home, what feels like a hole that you have to crawl into and make it through another night because in that house you have been hidden. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Moses? He was hidden. But what he didn't know and what you don't know it was not neglect. It feels like neglect. But it was not neglect. If you judge it in isolation and you're just looking at that one part of it, yes, it feels bad. It looks bad. It looks like neglect. But it was not neglect. He was being hidden by the hands of God. What looked like neglect in isolation was actually protection. Listen to me. Moses was hidden so well, he didn't even know how much danger he was in right outside his door. When God hides you, he hides you so well that you're not even aware of how much trouble and how much danger and how much pestilence and how much difficulty and how many enemies are waiting for you right outside the door. So you have the luxury to feel like you've been neglected. You have the luxury to pout about prayers gone unanswered. Moses didn't feel the love because he didn't know about the danger. Had he known about the danger, he would have been thankful for the fact that he was hidden. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, some of you, God had to hide you because you were in so much danger, both from the enemy and both from stupid decisions you made in the past. You piled up so many enemies and you piled up so much danger that God didn't have a choice. He had to hide you. You were hidden on purpose. And if you start to understand that, you'll begin to understand this. 
That's why that circle never let you inside. That's why all of those people rejected you and refused to be your friends. That's why that relationship fell apart. That's why you could never get your foot in that door. That's why they fired you. And all this time, you've been thinking that the rejection was because you were so bad. When in reality, it was because you were so good and God could not afford to waste your future purpose on anything that had an enemy attached to it. You were too young. You were too naive. You didn't see what was lurking around that corner. You're just sad that they didn't invite you. But what you don't know is if you would have showed up that night, your life would have been required of you. It was God in his mercy all along hiding you, blocking you from certain things, keeping certain people out of your circle, making certain relationships crumble, separating you from the wrong people, even though you prayed that they would stay and you never see it while you're walking in real time you have to live long enough and glance back before you'll start to notice the outline of a moving hand you have to walk with God long enough that you learn to give him praise for prayers he did not answer oh I feel like preaching you have to you have to walk with God long enough that you learn to thank him for the rejection of other people because if they would have accepted you back then you wouldn't be standing where you are right now yeah yeah have to walk with God long enough to, to get enough perspective to, to look back and say, oh my God, I see it. I thought he was killing me, but he was covering me. I thought he was neglecting me, but he was protecting me. I was hidden on purpose. I was hidden on purpose. They told me no on purpose. They declined my application on purpose. I didn't get that house on purpose. I didn't connect with those people on, on purpose because I was. The hand that hides. Verse number three, verse number three, and I like this, but when she could no longer hide him, sometimes if you say it on this side, to all of you who've been hidden and you're sick and tired of it. Be encouraged, because if you stay hidden long enough, there comes a time when she could no longer hide him. You know what that tells me? That tells me he might have been hidden, but they couldn't stop him from growing. He might have been hidden, but they couldn't have stopped him from advancing and from maturing and from moving forward. And for all of you who've been hidden, keep growing in the dark. For all of you that walked in here still hidden this morning, keep growing in the dark. Because if you keep growing, there will come a day when you can no longer be hidden. There will be a day when the company can't be hidden from you anymore, where your gifts can't be 
be hidden from the people around you anymore. There will come a day you can no longer hide them. When she could no longer hide them, she took an ark of uh, bulrushes, basically a little basket, and she made a boat out of it. She took an ark of bulrushes, she dabbed it with uh, asphalt and pitch, and, and she put the child in it. She, she put the child in it, took him out of the hole. They dug a hole in their little mud hut to hide him in when they could no longer hide him there. Took him out of the hole and put him in a new environment. Point number two, the hand that places. Okay. The hand that places. Okay. The hand that places. Look at everybody say places. When, when she placed him, understand that she was placing him in an environment that had been prepared. Okay. When Moses got in the ark, he didn't have to do anything to the sides. You know, he didn't have to do any maintenance. He didn't have to do any touch-up. When he got in that little ark, the place was prepared for his arrival. When God's hand places you, he always places you in a prepared environment. Somebody's coming out of the hole and into a prepared environment. Yeah. It's already prepared. And God's, something about God's placement. God's placement always coincides with God's timing. That's a good note. God's placement always coincides with God's timing. Okay. So as his mama is going down to the Nile River with the basket, she's going, she, she placed him in the basket. Okay. Now she's going to pick up the basket and she's going to place it into the river into the flow, into the current. She's placing him into something that's moving towards something else. But notice the timing. As mama's upriver, right here, place in the basket, Pharaoh's daughter's downriver, over here, getting ready to take a bath. Now, consider this. There's a law been signed that every Hebrew boy has got to be thrown in the river, got to be killed, got to be aborted. Okay? Okay? So there's a law that says that. There's only one woman in the nation that could show up with a little Hebrew baby and that baby survive. And that one woman in the nation that can show up with a Hebrew baby and convince Pharaoh to break his own law, that one woman happens to be Pharaoh's daughter. So God placed him in the river at the same time and moment that the one person who could save his life was stepping in the river. When God's placement becomes the factor, you'll notice these three together. Right place, right time, right people. I feel like saying that. You might ought to tweet that. Right place, right time, right people. 
Now, you may not be used to prophecy, but you're about to get one. In this season, God is going to assign your life to the right place, at the right time, and with the right people. You're going to begin to notice symmetry between your places, your times, and the people that show up in your life. So she places him over here in a flow and in a current that's going to carry him toward destiny over there. But here's the problem. The river that flows to destiny is always fraught with danger. You can't get destiny and escape danger. So so he's got to float from here all the way to there. And he's got to float by alligators. He's got to float by snakes. He's got to float by infectious disease carrying mosquitoes. He's got to float by a lot of stuff that should kill him in order to get from where he was placed to where he was purposed. He had to go through a lot of stuff. But if God's hand places you, oh, yeah. If God's hand places you, then God's hand will protect you. And I'm a living witness. I floated by a lot of stuff in my life that should have killed me. There's people in this room, you're a witness. You floated by a lot of stuff that should have destroyed you, should have taken you out, should have totally ended everything. But because God's hand was on you and where God places you, he will protect you. You've been able to survive in spite of. Take a look over your shoulder and think about all the alligators and and all of the crocodiles and all of the snakes and And all of the times where you floated by something that should have destroyed you. I should be dead this morning. I know I'm not the only one. I should be dead this morning. It's not just a preaching point. It's the God's honest truth. I should be dead dead this morning. I wonder how many have the same testimony. I wonder if you can go back and remember a specific incident. I wonder if you can go back and remember a specific time. I should be dead. That joker floating next to me should have brought me all the way down. That stuff that was around my basket should have sucked me a long time ago. I should be dead this morning. The abusive relationship should have killed you. Or something that happened in your childhood should have killed you. Or that bad decision you made and you were in the wrong group at the wrong time, it should have killed you. But in spite of all of it, because of the hand of God, where God's hand places you, God's hand will protect you you and to the God who has protected us we pause the service and we lift our hand to recognize the beauty and the glory and the splendor of your hand If you look back real quick, you might start to see the outline of his hand. The outline of his hand. Those people you went to school with that are in the graveyard this morning. Could have been you, but his hand. 
people dying in hospitals, full-blown AIDS, and you won't testify about it, but it should have been you, and it could have been you. NFL player made the news because he was driving drunk and he killed somebody. And you saw it and you shook your head, but you know in the back of your mind, it could have been you. People overdose popping pills every day, end up either dead or with massive brain damage and, and all that stuff you taking. I know you don't shout about this kind of stuff in church, but all the stuff you've taken, if we were just real about it, all the stuff you're taking that you got it from a source that you really don't know where it came from, it could have been you. But where God's hand places you, God's hand will protect. You've been fussing about being neglected, being hidden, being passed over. You've been fussing about the people that wouldn't accept you into their circle, that wouldn't give you an opportunity. They wouldn't open the door. And all while you've been fussing, you failed to realize that there's a hand you can't see in real time. That since you were a baby, I said, since you were a baby, he's been ordering your steps, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord and he delights in the way and though we fall. He'll never be utterly cast down because the Lord upholds him in his hand, in his hand, in his hand. My message is simple. God still has his hand on your life. He's still taking a hands-on approach. No failure that you've gone through. No mistake you've made. No rebellion in your heart. It's never stopped his, his hand. And number three, the hand that raises. The hand that, that raises. Come on, do this with me if you don't mind. The hand that raises. Oh, I like the way that felt. Let's do it again together. The hand that. So the boy floats in this prepared place all the way down the river of danger toward destiny. He lands in the reeds. 
and Pharaoh's daughter, the one woman in the kingdom that can convince her daddy not to kill him, sees the basket. She said, wonder what's in there. You know, there's such a thing as divine curiosity that God can put divine curiosity over your life and make people look at you and just wonder to themselves, I wonder what's in there. She says, I wonder what's in there. And she sends her maid. This is the fourth woman to put her hands on Moses. She sends her maid. The maid opens the basket and she raises him up. Think about something. Think about something theological for a second, if you don't mind. It's only 1138. you think about something with me? All the time he was hidden in the hole and all the time he was floating down the river. All that time he was a slave. But the moment Pharaoh's daughter's maid lifted him up and she laid eyes on him, that moment he became a son. She adopted him as her own. Because, you know, before all the paperwork is signed and it's official, adoption first happens in the mind. You see and you make a decision. She saw him and she made an instant decision. That one is mine. You know the same thing happened to you when you had faith in Jesus Christ. You were riding down the river of danger towards certain death. But God saw you over there in the reeds and he sent the Holy Spirit over and he opened up the basket and he lifted you up. And when God saw you, he said, no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to the darkness of this world, no longer a slave to oppression and depression, no longer a slave to death, no longer a slave to the devil. That one is... And, and the hands raised him up. Number one, number one, number one, the hand that hides. Number two, the hand that places. Number three, the hand that... Number one, the hand that hides. Number two, the hand that places. Number three, the hand that raises up. I prophesy a raising up in your life in this season. I prophesy that the favor of the Lord overshadow you and cause the right people in the right place at the right time to begin to help you get up. You've been down too long. You've been pressing pause on your life for too long. You've been stuck for too long. It is God's timing and God's design to raise you up. Spirit of the Lord, I thank you, God, for all of the people you've been speaking to while your word has gone forth. It hadn't been my hands today. It's been your hands. It hadn't been my word today. It's been your word. 
And God, you know exactly where to put it. You know exactly where to place it. You know how to minister to people. So Holy Spirit, right now, all over this room, as we lift up our hands to you, God, I ask you to go into the deep places in their hearts. I ask you to go into the deep places in their minds. And I ask you, Lord, to carry your word and carry your anointing and carry your strength to them right where they are. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we declare every low place begins to rise. We declare every dark place begins to receive the light. We declare in the name of Jesus the movement of the hand of God. And God, when we go far enough to look back and see what you've been doing, we'll stop and we'll look and we'll be careful to notice and to respond with gratitude over all the times, all the ways that your hand protected us, led us, and strengthened us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a great hand of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Could we stand as a congregation, lift our hands and just sing that one time? All my life. I want to hear you sing all my life you have. One more time, all my life you have been. Oh, open your mouth, sing with us, say all my life you have. I like this part that says your goodness. God has his hand 
upon your life. God has his hand. He has his hand on your life. You may not see it for three more years. You may have to live three years from this point in order to look back and see it. But even in what you're going through today, God has his hand on your life. At this time in the service,